0: As we go to open God's Word together, let's ask Him to bless it to us. Let us pray. Father in heaven, by Your Spirit, through Your Word, send out Your light and Your truth, and let them lead us. Let them bring us to Your holy hill and to Your dwelling, and then we will come to the cross of Christ, to the Son of God, our exceeding joy, and we will praise You, O triune God, our God. Hear us, for we pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Please be seated. And please turn with me in God's Word to the Song of Solomon, Song of Solomon chapter 2. If you're visiting with us this evening, we're glad to have you here, and we've been considering a series through the Song of Solomon, and we've come to chapter 2. We're going to begin our reading at verse 8 and read through verse 17, and that will be our text for this evening. So, Sol- Song of Solomon chapter 2, it's between the books of Ecclesiastes and Isaiah. Song of Solomon, chapter 2, beginning our reading at verse 8. And let's pay careful attention, for this is God's own word. The voice of my beloved, behold, he comes, leaping over the mountains, bounding over the hills. My beloved is like a gazelle or a young stag. Behold, there he stands behind our wall, gazing through the windows, looking through the lattice. My beloved speaks and says to me, Arise, my love, my beautiful one, and come away. For behold, the winter is past, the rain is over and gone. The flowers appear on the earth, the time of singing has come, and the voice of the turtle dove is heard in our land. The fig tree ripens its figs, and the vines are in blossom, they give forth fragrance. Arise, my love, my beautiful one, and come away. O my dove, in the clefts of the rock, in the crannies of the cliff, Let me see your face, let me hear your voice, for your voice is sweet and your face is lovely. Catch the foxes for us, the little foxes that spoil the vineyards, for our vineyards are in blossom. My beloved is mine and I am his. He grazes among the lilies until the day breathes and the shadows flee. Turn, my beloved, be like a gazelle or a young stag on cleft mountains." Thus far, the reading of God's Word, may He bless it to us. Um, this is a, a song about love that actually has a lot to say about patience. Uh, maybe it didn't strike that to you as we read. I hope to make the case as we go along that that patience is one of the themes of this song. We might just begin by saying, are you a patient person? Um, I don't know if that's how you would describe yourself when I, when I had a little niece around she was i thought impatient a number of times and i would i kept saying to her patience is a virtue um and so i kept saying that to her patience is a virtue and i remember once at five years old i said that to her maybe i'd said it one too many times but i said you know and she rolled her eyes as only a five-year-old can do and said i know uncle william patience is a virtue Um, we know it's a virtue we're not always good at practicing it she Had learned the concept but not the the practice i think of that Um, but we can all kind of relate there are things that we are not good at being very patient about even though patience is a virtue that's commended to us over and over again in scripture we know that every christian needs patience patience is one aspect of the fruit of the spirit in galatians 5 part of walking in a manner worthy of the calling we've received in ephesians 2 is to be patient A part of what we are to put on as God's chosen ones in Colossians 3 is, you guessed it, patience. Um, And we read in James 5 that we are all to be patient, waiting for the coming of the Lord. Patience is an important virtue. Christians as individuals need patience. Families need patience. Um, Husbands need patience not to be harsh with their wives. Wives need patience to submit to their husbands. Parents need patience not to exasperate their children, children need patience to bear with their parents' infirmities. Uh, We can see over and over again why patience is such a necessary virtue for Christians and one that's important but one that is sadly in short supply. There's a lot of sins that we get into because we are impatient. We're not willing to give things the time they need, wait as we should with patience Uh, Delayed gratification, especially in our culture, is not something we are good at. And especially as we think of this song that particularly has wisdom about love, uh, we see that patience when it comes to these things is not what our culture shows. Um, I remember years ago reading a very sad book. I read most of it, but couldn't really bear to read all of it. Uh, The book was entitled Unhooked, How Young Women Pursue Sex, Delay Love, and Lose at Both. And it was sort of all about the kind of hookup culture that's around us and so prevalent today. This was a secular researcher not coming at this issue from a particularly Christian viewpoint, Uh, but it was interesting for what she found as she went along. At one part she said, young people have virtually abandoned dating and replaced it with group get-togethers and sexual behaviors that are detached from love or commitment, and sometimes even from liking. High school and college teachers I've talked to, as well as researchers, remark on this. Relationships have been replaced by the casual sexual encounters known as hookups. Love, while desired by some, is being put on hold or seen as impossible. Physical intimacy is becoming the primary currency of social interaction. And she writes, the crucial thing to remember in all of this is that hooking up in the minds of this generation carries no commitment. Partners hook up with the understanding that however far they go, neither should become romantically involved in any serious way. Hooking up's defining characteristic is the ability to unhook from a partner at any time, just as they might delete an old song or an out-of-date message on their computer. The freedom to unhook from someone, ostensibly without repercussions, gives them maximum flexibility. Although I use both phrases, this is not a hookup culture so much as it is an unhooked culture. It is a way of thinking about relationships, period. And that's why her book, as you kind of can hear in the title, Why They Pursue One Thing, Delay Love and Lose at Both, is that you can't just flip that switch. You can't go around never being hooked emotionally to anyone and then somehow figure out how to do it again later. Um, It it comes about as she researched, as she found, that nobody wants the sort of delayed gratification. They say, I'm not not in a place in life to have a serious relationship. I might want that at some point, but I don't want that now. Um, And so I'll just hook up in the meantime. Um, and then they think that somehow later they'll be able to kind of flip the switch and then pursue a serious relationship. And what the re- researcher found is not surprisingly, if you get used to being just unhooked, it's very hard to ever stop doing that, uh, to, to actually make the transition to to pursuing love and marriage and figuring out how to make that work. That's why I say it's a very sad book in a lot of ways for how the world pursues things that they think are right and Finds nothing, um, but I hope it goes without saying that this is completely contrary to what god 's will is for love and for marriage and for relationships the whole The whole idea of marriage as God created it is not ever to be unhooked right to join together in a way that ought not to be put asunder that 's how God defined marriage all the way back in the book of Genesis chapter two. The man said, this at last is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. Um, And of course our Lord in Mark chapter 10 said, so they are no longer two but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. Uh, The culture gets exactly wrong what God has intended. He doesn't mean us to be unhooked people. He means us to be bonded together by this bond of marriage that includes so many aspects of intimacy together, and He does not want us to use love and relationships and especially physical intimacy the way the culture does, but the way that God has ordained it. It's reserved for the context of marriage and not before that marriage has been cemented by the Lord. Um, And that means that Christians need to make sure that we do not pursue things and have the patience to wait for them till they come to us in God's timing. And that's the important thing that we see, um, not just demonstrated to us in Scripture, but wonderfully presented to us here in the Song of Solomon, someone who is doing that, who is patiently waiting in a godly manner for the time that God's appointment has come and will not pursue love until it comes under the, the banner that God would have it come, and that's really what this passage is all about. It's from all from the woman's perspective here about how to think about love and how to uh, practice a kind of godly restraint until the time for love has come. And so in this passage, there's sort of she's recalling uh, how she and her husband-to-be react and relate to one another. She's telling it all from her perspective, even though she brings his voice into it. And we see first a sort of initial appeal from him to her. Uh, That's what happens in verses 8 and 9. There's this initial approach uh, from the husband-to-be to to his wife-to-be. And then there's this wonderful inviting appeal that he makes to her in verses 10 through 14. And finally, her instructive answer to Him, Um, and much wisdom about love can be learned from these things. So that's how we want to think about this passage together, the initial approach, the inviting appeal, and the instructive answer. Um, Chapter 2, verse 7 set up a question for us. Uh, In the second part of chapter 2, verse 7, we read that, "...you not stir up or awaken love until it pleases." And what that verse reminded us of is there's a time for these things Uh, there's a time when they shouldn't be stirred up before the time and it's it implies a kind of question that's going to be answered as we go along but then what is the right time right if you're not to do it until the time is right then what makes the time right Uh, that's the kind of question that hangs over this section of the song having said that uh, how do we to understand these things and it's especially important for that question to hang in the background of what happens uh, because what happens in the text now is that the husband-to-be is finally arriving to meet with the wife-to-be. Um, to, throughout this, this book so far, they've been singing this song, but it's, it's been a song of distance. They've not really been together. Um, they've been recalling, interacting with each other, um, sort of dialoguing, but there's never been an a, a actual presence with one another. And that's what happens here. He's arriving. Um, he's finally coming into the picture. And that's what begins our text is really the approach of the beloved, the reproach, the approach of the husband to be. Uh, he's, he's finally arriving on the scene. This is kind of the moment we've been waiting for, for these two wonderful voices that have been singing to each other to sort of come together. And that's what we read about in verse 8. Here he comes. She says. The voice of my beloved, behold, he comes leaping over the mountains and bounding over the hills. My beloved is like a gazelle or a young stag. Now, man, I don't know if that's how your wife would describe you. I would like to see some of you leap like gazelles. Maybe we can do that later. Um, But what is is the picture that's being portrayed here? Well, one of the things that you see when you see a, a stag running around, if you've seen a nature video, they have amazing ability to run, to be quick, and to be very graceful in how they do things. Um, And that's what she's kind of singing about. This is, as he comes, that's what it reminds her of, this sort of picture of someone who comes with speed and with strength and with beauty. There's a grace to how he moves. She's celebrating how it looks in him coming to her in this way, how his approach is wonderful in her eyes. Uh, She celebrates the sound of his arrival, right? It's not just what he looks like, but behold, the voice of my beloved, Uh, She's hearing him. She's seeing him. Um, She sees him and and pictures him in beautiful ways, sort of poetry in motion. And he approaches and he draws near. And what happens in verse 9? Behold, there he stands behind our wall, gazing through the windows, looking through the lattice. Um, He's come all the way up to the wall of the house. She can see him see him right out there so finally these two that have been separated for so long he draws near to her Uh, they're within distance where they can see their eyes meet um, and he's right there close he can't quite yet enter into her presence he's just outside on the other side of the wall Um, but he's close enough to peer through the window so close that she can see him their eyes can meet behold see he's finally arrived And so there's this initial approach of him arriving, and then she recounts for us what he says, the inviting appeal that he makes to her. It's really a beautiful section in verses 10 through 14 of what her beloved says and speaks to her. Um, Verse 10 through 14, we really read this inviting appeal, and you'll notice it begins and ends with the same phrase. Verse 10, we read, "'Arise, my love, my beautiful one,' and come away. Um, and that's the same thing he ends with at verse, the end of verse 13. Arise, my love, my beautiful one, and come away. Um, that, that bookends for us what he's going to say. This is all part of his appeal to her, um, and it's a wonderful statement. It's a wonderful statement in how he addresses her, right? It, he piles on the, the terms of endearment here. Um, my love, my beautiful one, um, this is a wonderful way of him speaking of how he feels about her. Um, he's really pouring it on here um, about what he thinks of her. And the appeal is all a celebration of springtime. If we wanted to really summarize the appeal, will would be love is in the air. It's springtime. Love is in the air. It's a beautiful poem to springtime. Um, it's been called one of the most beautiful in Scripture, uh, singing about celebrating uh, springtime and all that it brings. Right, verse 11, for behold, the winter is past, the rain is over and gone, the flowers appear on the earth, the time of singing has come, the voice of the turtle dove is heard in our land, the fig tree ripens its figs and the vines are in blossom, they give forth fragrance. Right, it's all a beautiful picture, it's it's a good time in our in our life here in Southern California to think of these things, right? Their their winter was like our winter. It didn't didn't have to have snow that passed for them when the winter passed. The rains were done. Uh, It's much like our climate here. And we're sort of experiencing the tail end of that, aren't we? We know that May is coming, June follows, and all these wonderful green hills with wonderful wildflowers, not going to last very long. But right now, everything's in bloom. It's really beautiful to see and that's that's the springtime that's what it brings that's what he's celebrating this is the time that's all around them it's a wonderful picture of color and of music of the time of year and he comes wanting her to come with him to participate in this wonderful world it's a beautiful picture but it's also an interactive one they want to go and be part of that and to be part of that together Um, it seems like every condition is right Right, the rains are gone, the winter is over, the wildflowers are in bloom, the birds are singing, the, fight, the figs are ripe and sweet, the, blossoms are, the scent of the blossoms is in the air. Everything seems right. It impacts all of the senses. Um, you probably all have a favorite season of the year, a favorite time of the year when it just seems like everything is right. And that's what he's saying to her. He's making this appeal for her to come out, this appeal, and it's calling for a response, right? Um, he's calling for a response, for her to come out and celebrate these things with Him. Uh, the call for the response is really in verse 14, Oh, my dove, in the cleft of the rocks, in the crannies of the cliff, let me see your face, let me hear your voice, for your voice is sweet and your face is lovely.'" Um, she's seen him coming, she's seen his form, she's seen his face, she's heard his voice, and now he wants to hear the same from her. Um, it's a call, really, to come out and to celebrate with her. He uses a picture of inaccessibility. Uh, doves are, are tender little creatures, and they would often use the, the crannies of a cliff to hide from, from predators or other kind of birds that would worry them. So it's a picture of beauty, but also of inaccessibility. She has to come out to him. Um, to come out like a dove from the clefts in the rock. Uh, He's asking her to join him and to enjoy the world with him. Your face is lovely. Your voice is sweet. Uh, Come out to me and let us enjoy this world together. That's the nature of the appeal he makes. There's nothing wrong in the appeal. There's nothing unlovely or, or there's no hint of any kind of undercurrent of anything that's inappropriate. It's a wonderful, beautiful appeal to her. Everything seems to be right. And so she's talked about how lovesick she is without him. She's talked about the desire to to find him and to be with him. Now here he is. He's calling her to come out. He's making this inviting appeal to her. And how does she respond? Um, Her answer is very instructive. Um, The instructive answer is here because given all of this buildup, we might expect her to just run out into his arms and they go off to live happily ever after. If this was a fairy tale and that's how we were writing it, that's how it would end, right? He comes finally to her. She, he sings to her to come out. She comes out. They embrace. They write off into the sunset. Credits roll. Um, is that what happens here, though? Um, her response is very interesting. Catch the foxes for us. The little foxes that spoil the vineyards, for our vineyards are in blossom. Um, In fact, she doesn't come out to Him. She gives Him a task to do. That task is instructive. Um, But ultimately, what does she say in verse 17, until the day breathes and the shadows flee, turn, my beloved, be like a gazelle or a young stag on cleft mountains. Um, it's almost like, you know, she saw him approaching as a gazelle, and now she tells him, you can go out like a gazelle. Um, she seems to send him away. So what's going on here? Um, why this? And what does it mean that he should go out around catching foxes? Uh, what kind of honey-do list is this to give someone to do? What is what is going on in this text? What is What does she mean? Um, Well, what the woman really is doing here is urging her beloved to join with her in protecting their love. Uh, This is not to be seen as some kind of coy game playing or a fickle change of whim on her part. Her love for him is just as strong as ever. It has nothing to do with changing whims or a diminishing love. In fact, she uses in addressing him one of the strongest ways she talks about him in all of the books. verse 16, she says, my beloved is mine and I am his. There's, There's really no greater statement of commitment that she makes to his love. He'll make a similar statement to her, but this is the only time she makes this statement. My beloved is mine and I am his. There's no diminution of love at all. Love isn't lacking here, it's as strong as ever, that's a statement of total commitment to him, she is as completely his as he is completely hers, um, so that can't be the reason she sends him away. And that, that fierceness of her love tells, tells us that she's not sending him away with no hope of return. She doesn't say no to his inviting appeal, but she does say, not yet, right? Not yet, but soon. And why? because the day does not yet breathe, and the shadows have not yet fled. Um, springtime and in lo- in love in all of its potential delights, emotional, spiritual, and physical, are wonderful gifts of God, but as we've seen before in all of its power and head-spinning craziness, that doesn't mean that there shouldn't be any restraint. She has the wisdom to know that this is also a time of danger, that you could be carried away if you're not careful. Um, again, we shouldn't think he's making any kind of inappropriate appeal to her. He's not. Um, she's not trying to say, you want to do something inappropriate, and I'm against it. But she is does have the wisdom to say, you know what? Us going out together into this world of color and music right now may not be the smartest move for the both of us together because of how much we love each other, because of how much we desire one another, that we better show caution and wait until the day for love has fully dawned, because until the day breathes and until the shadows flee, there is still danger to be aware of." That's what the little fox's comment, I think, is really all about. Springtime is wonderful in all of, on all of the things going on, but springtime is not without its dangers. There are little foxes that come out in the springtime. And what do the little foxes do? They spoil the vineyards, and our vineyards are in blossom. Um, apparently there are little, these little foxes like to eat the blossoms off the vine. And what happens if you eat the blossoms off the vine? not you, but foxes, what happens if they do that? If there's no blossom, there's no fruit. If the the blossoms are eaten, it never comes to fruition, it never comes to grapes. Without the grapes, you never have the wine, it dies on the vine, literally. And that's the nature of the warning here. There are dangers about, there are dangers about that will spoil the vineyard. Um, These little foxes that are around. Uh, My mom had wild rabbits that would get into her yard and they would eat her plants. And one day she saw one out there and she said, oh, that pesky bunny is back. And my nephew was there. And so for then on, when he was little, every bunny was a pesky bunny. Um, The pesky bunnies that eat grandma's plants. You know, we know that, right? There are these animals that do that. And that's what she's talking about. And it's one of the ways she shows wisdom to say, there's, the, springtime is a time of color and music. That doesn't mean there aren't any shadows out there. It doesn't mean that there aren't any dangers out there. There are things that if they're not caught, if they're not restrained, will kill the fruit on the vine, will kill it before it comes to full blossom. And what she has the wisdom to do is to say, we want to protect that from happening. We want to protect that from happening. She doesn't want that to be the case with their love, that they're carried away and before the day breeze and before the shadows flee, the foxes eat the blossoms and kill what is growing on the vine. She doesn't want this to happen to their love. They have to wait for the true day to dawn. It's coming soon, it's not a long wait the day, br- until the day breathes, until the, the day is breezing along, we could say. It's kind of the, the imagery that's using there. It's breezing along to that day. The shadows are, are fleeing. It's coming to that time. But until the time has come, they have to do everything they can to protect their love, uh, to do that together. And she has the wisdom to know that they need to wait and they need to protect their love together. Um, and there is so much wisdom, isn't there, in love taught here to us. Uh, so much wisdom in her song to her husband, that the husband-to-be, that they need to, to do this to protect things. That, the, every, that ta- There are times when everything feels right, but you have to go against what you feel. She has the wisdom to think and not to get carried away. And that's important, isn't it? Because many of times we get in trouble by trusting our feelings or our inclinations more than we trust what God has said. And we can learn a lot from this wise bride who has the wisdom not to get carried away with love being in the air and color and music being all around them to not be carried away um, and to do anything that they would regret. We learned something really important about this too because she's not setting up a bunch of arbitrary rules for them either. Um, she's not doing that. Sometimes we do that. We play at being Pharisees and try to lay down all kinds of different rules for things. Um, and sometimes when it comes to especially relationships, especially when you're younger um, and you're, you're in that sort of dating age, then people are always asking, you know, what the rules are. I worked for a long time with, with youth um, and they would always come, you know. What? Well, how? What, what, how should we think about these things? How do we? How do we think about the about dating? Should we do courting? How far is too far? There's all kinds of these rules that people want to set up. You notice that she doesn't set any arbitrary rules, but what she holds in in her mind and holds before her husband to be is the reason that we ought to do things. Rather than to set up a host of arbitrary rules, she focuses in on the reason that Scripture gives us to avoid things that are bad, because sin is a killer. Um, Notice that she doesn't engage in a bunch of arbitrary rules, but she remembers the reason that we need to do things in this life is because sin is a killer. Um, It has the potential to kill, um, particularly as she thinks about love here. It has the potential to kill what is beautiful and good in love and relationships while it's still in flower and before it bears fruit. Uh, Sin is not just a pesky fox, it is that, but it's also a ravening wolf and a devouring lion. And sin wants to kill. It actively is trying to destroy loving relationships before they can blossom into fruitful marriages. And if it can it will try to destroy it in the bud and a lot of sexual sin uh, targets us in this way and whether it's premarital activity like that pornography and the like those things can all have long-term consequences consequences that are physical that are psychological that are emotional and that are spiritual they can bring disease and guilt and shame and heartache And one of the wisdom that she brings here is we have to guard ourselves and guard others in our relationships. And sometimes we need to do that, especially when love is in the air and there's color and music all around us and it feels like we ought to do it. That's maybe the time the most to beware of the shadows that linger and the day that's not yet come. Um, All of these things are wisdom to us. And why does God want us to do this? Again, the reasons are important. Sometimes we get fixed on God's rules as if God is just interested in killing fun. Um, But why does God give us these things? Because He doesn't want love to die on the vine. He doesn't want the blossom to be destroyed and not to bring forth fruit. He wants us to experience the blessings that He has created for us, particularly in love and in relationships. Uh, This includes in marriage, physical intimacy, Uh, to keep God's good gifts to his people from dying on the vine. That's why he wants us to follow what he's done. And so this is the prescription for us. This is how we are to live our lives. And we need to think about as we come to this passage, uh, it sets before us a lot of the things that we ought to do. The song will celebrate a lot of the things we ought to do. And I think it's only going to be natural at times to look at these things and to see where we've gone wrong. And to say, this is a beautiful picture of what ought to be done. I wish it was the picture of my life, but it's not. So then what hope does the song offer to me? Am I just going to keep reading about things that I've failed to do and keep reading about things that would have been beautiful had I not spoiled them? Is there hope where we get these things wrong? And of course there is. Of course there's hope. In our God. That's the nature of what He does to repair what's broken, to provide restoration. There are many couples that carry a lot of baggage into their marriages when it comes to their past relationships. They can do that individually before they were Christians or their sinful failures as Christians. Some of those couples bring their own failures together into a marriage where they failed to wait as they should, as this, was, as this is talking about. Um, But all of us, I think, can appreciate the ways that we fail in the areas the Bible calls us to with sexual purity, the many ways that we fail when it comes to sins of the heart, sins against ourselves, sins against others. And it's here particularly that we have to remember the power of Christ's cross and His resurrection, that He has the power to bring dead things to life, and that even if It seems like it's a dead vine that never has any hope of blossoming into anything ever again. The Lord has the power to bring what is lifeless to live again. There's hope for us in the Lord to protect things from destruction, to bring them to fruitfulness. There's always hope for those who've been engrafted to Him by grace through faith. It's one of the the values of that image when Jesus says, I am the true vine and you are my branches. We've been engrafted into the one who has the power to bring life. Who even has the power to bring life from the dead. To people that might look and say, I don't think there's any hope that this vine in particular will ever bear any fruit ever again. Uh, No one can ever say never in the Lord Jesus Christ because there is life and vitality that flows from Him who is the true vine to His people who are the branches. He has the power to save and to solve and to resurrect our human relationships. And the wonderful thing that He does where that begins is in our true communion and union with Him. Um, Not all of us find someone who we can love and come close to and unite with in life and marriage. Some of us have ruined marriage in ourselves or found it ruined by sin or divorce or death. Some of us are currently struggling with two sinners trying to make the reality of a loving marriage work. But in God, what we always find is a picture of union and communion that we have with Him, a perfect kind of love that He cultivates with us that cannot be broken, uh, that cannot be destroyed, Someone we always are in a union with that is life-giving and one that He will protect so that it always bears fruit. Every Christian has union and communion with our God in a more and wonderful and profound way than we can find it in any other human relationship where God binds us to His Son and He gives us a Son who cares for us. It's one of the reasons I I prayed our congregational prayer, largely based on Belgic Confession 26 and the intercession of our Lord Jesus Christ. And it's such an encouraging thing because in that article of faith, even though it's heavy on theology, it also points us to the simple fact that you don't need to find someone else to intercede for you because there's no one who loves you more than the Lord. It's a wonderful passage of Article 26 where it says, There is no creature in heaven or on earth that loves you more than Jesus does. He's brought you into that communion with Him. As the people of God, we are brought into that fellowship with Him of which marriage was meant to be a picture. Of the love that our Savior has for us. And that's the hope for all of us who are in union and communion with Him that He will never let that love be fruitless. It will always be green, it will always be fruitful because His grace is always operating in it. That's the wonderful hope that's communicated in Psalm 92, verses 12 through 15. The righteous flourish like the palm tree and grow like a cedar in Lebanon. They are planted in the house of the Lord. They flourish in the courts of our God. They still bear fruit in old age. They are ever full of sap and green to declare that the Lord is upright. He is my rock and there is no unrighteousness in Him. There's always that union and communion that He is preserving in us. And that's why we always have hope in our relationships with one another as Christians because that life from our Lord that is life-giving, that is restoring, that is repairing, is at work in us. And by His Spirit, He's empowering us to live for Him the way we were called to. His Spirit dwells within us and empowers us to love Him and to love one another as we ought in all of our relationships in life, including our marriages. Um, And so God gives us what we need as His people. Um, He gives us what we need both in terms of His love for us and His wisdom that is formed in us by Scripture. And so may we take the wisdom of this wise young woman to heart as she tells us about love and the importance of waiting on the Lord's timing. Uh, may we have the wisdom to wait and to be patient, knowing in God's time that God's will is to give us all blessedness and joy in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Praise be to our God. Amen. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, as we hear this song that sings the praise of love and see so much wisdom in it, we pray that we would learn from it, that we would help to follow your word and gain this wisdom for our lives, that we would remember the greatness of our Lord's love for us and the power that's there in union and communion with Him. And so we pray, Lord, that we would draw near to our to our Savior, that we would be filled with His Spirit, that His Spirit would guide us and empower us uh, with His great strength to love one another as we ought. And We pray that that love would um, flow into all of our relationships, particularly into our marriages. We pray that You would continue to help Husbands love their wives and wives love their husbands as is honorable before you. If we're single to live uh, lives that are pleasing in your sight, doing what you've called us to do, Lord, help us to have the patience to wait on your timing, to do things according to your will, uh, knowing that in your time we will experience all blessedness in Christ Jesus our Lord. So hear us and help us in these things, we pray, for we ask them in Jesus' precious name. Amen.